0: Live from the hills of Judea is the Land of Israel Fellowship with rabbis Arya Bramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel. Hello, everybody! Welcome to the Land of Israel Fellowship. So good to see you. I love the end of that song. How Emunah she doesn't walk; she just hops. She like floats through the air. I just love that video. Just captures like such a magic that we have on the Arugot Farm. You know, just this week, yesterday, uh, we had a group from Germany, and The Germans so far removed that they didn't speak English or Hebrew. So we had a translator that was translating the teachings that I was giving over. And at the same time, a Jewish group from Baltimore, married men, took a week out of life, and they came to Israel to re-energize, to get inspired, to learn Torah, to just spend a spiritual week in Israel called Yar And they came to the farm. That was like the climax of their week in Israel was to like just come out to the farm, had a whole night with music and food and prayers and songs. And just like that combination, it was so marvelous to see. And it's just the magic of the Arugot Farm. It's the magic of this fellowship. It's just, we're able to do things that I don't see happening anywhere else in the world. And it is a sign of the times because the times that we are living in, it's the world is getting crazier, By the week, every week I wake up and I'm shocked anew at the craziness that continue. As soon as I think, how much crazier could this world get? Somehow, that just the world keeps on getting crazier, and so there is like a island of sanity in this fellowship. There's an island of sanity in the land of Israel. That's why Jerusalem is called the city of truth, where the whole world is trying to say, there is no truth, there is no good, there is no evil, just no boys, no girls, just everything is total chaos. Then the Jewish return to the land of Israel and us rebuilding Jerusalem. It's like, no, sorry, the United Nations, the European Union, they don't run the world. God runs the world. And Jerusalem is the city of truth, saying there is a history, there is a destiny, and we are this island of sanity, really, that will eventually bring a light to the entire world. But now that we're all here, we have an opportunity just reading the chats, you know, people from Africa and Croatia and Sweden and Holland and America, just so beautiful. So with this opportunity to bring everyone together, maybe we'll kick off the fellowship with a prayer from around the world with one heart, one people, one land, one God, Hashem, master of the universe, Abatov. feels like we're walking on such a narrow bridge. The world is going mad and the enemies of israel are rising up innocent jews are being killed every week in your land your people need your revelation now we need your light to shine in this darkness guide us in your ways and protect us on our path give us the wisdom and the courage the strength to become the people you created us to be help us become strong enough to lift up the people around us who need us now. Help us shine your light to our loved ones around us. Bless this fellowship. Guide and protect every person watching this session now, listening to it now, whenever that may be. Bless them and bless their loved ones. Walk with them and carry them through the challenges they face. Carry us all, all the way to Yerushalayim. Amen. Okay, my friends. So what I want to do is I just want to kick off the fellowship with... The current events that have kind of leaped out at me as we're reading the Torah portions of the week. Because arguably, right now, we are at the climax of the Torah. It's like everything was a buildup, was a buildup, was a buildup to the national revelation at Sinai, the Ten Commandments, the revelation that changed the world. It shifted world history, it shifted humanity. It was the enlightenment that we'll never be the same again after Sinai. And as we're reading this, Torah portion things happened in the world and they were just so shocking and jarring at least to me because as I'm reading the Torah portion and I'm looking at the world around me I can't help but see that everything is interconnected and sometimes interconnected in very polar opposite ways almost creating a contrast as here the Jewish people and believers around the world are reading about the great revelation of morality, of goodness, of justice in the world, the 10 commandments, the moral fabric and foundations of Western civilization. At the same time, all of a sudden on my Twitter feed, I open up and I see that at the heart of Hollywood, the culture of the Western world, the arts and entertainment at the Grammys ceremony, the main event was Satan worship. And I know that like, "What Satan worship? What are they doing that in the in the Hollywood event of culture?" But that's actually what happened, and it was so shocking that I didn't know what to do with it. And I don't encourage anyone to watch the Grammys. I don't think you should even watch any of the shows that win awards on the Grammys. I think. By the way, Jeremy, it is
1: Jeremy yes? is sponsored by Pfizer. I'm just well, saying. I,
0: I, I'm not weighing I'm in one shocked. way or
1: the other, but something was a little bit rich, Satan
0: worshiping dance sponsored by pfizer it's just you can't make this stuff up. you can't up. make this stuff up you could not make it up and so i just just for a moment can we just show just some of the pictures because i don't want to watch really? the actual video but these were the pictures from that thing where the, there's like these the fire hell horns people worshiping satan i mean just like a, insanity that's what was being celebrated in the heart of, that is the culture like beacon of America. And what were they celebrating? Worshiping of Satan like that. And I know that my Jewish friends, cause I talked to them about it. They're like, ah, you know, Jeremy, it's just it's just like, it's just Hollywood. It's just, you know, celebrations. It's just like art. And I'm like, yeah. Who yes, said art. that? It was yeah, tell me, I'm interested but it, to know That's who said what that. came out of their artistic expression as like no one wants to come to grips with what's actually happening to the culture inside Western civilization. Once you take God out of civilization, what's going to happen is that the other side is going to come in. And it was so shocking to me that that's what was being celebrated. And the whole crowd is like cheering. Yeah, woohoo! And then uh, later on, CBS actually like, you know, was kind of like reporting on the Grammys and CBS, which is like one of the most toxic, like fake news institutions was like, we are ready to worship dot, dot, dot. And they put up that video. And it was like, wow, that is just absolutely frightening that that's what's being celebrated now. And the, as the Jews are celebrating the revelation of goodness and light and truth in the Torah brought into the world, the same exact week, it's like, no, there's this counterforce here. We are celebrating everything that is dark in the world. That's what we're going to celebrate. And then at the same time, a man that I really do respect, I mean, he is the most popular podcast in the world, came out with something that, you know, I I don't want to say he was like a a mean-spirited reality, but Joe Rogan, um, kind of came out a little bit against the Jews this last week at the same time. Let's just look at the video and listen to what he says. You here. know,
1: the, the idea that Jewish people are not into money is ridiculous. Listen. That's like saying uh, Italians aren't into pizza.
0: <laughs> it's like Italians aren't into pizza. Jews are into money. And so I, I don't think that he was trying to spread Jew hatred. Like, he's not just a hateful person. He's a comedian. So he's making jokes. But what's happening is that like, I've seen so many just in the last few months of like jew hatred becoming really really mainstreamed in western civilization now and at the same time inside israel every other day there's another terror attack and they're not attacking soldiers children are being killed in israel and at the same time as this you know when it describes the giving of the torah it's describing like thunder and lightning and like the mountain is shaking and then all of a sudden for the first time um the tectonic plates Um, that surround Israel are shifting. And I'm sure you've heard about the massive earthquake that rocked Turkey. The latest reports are more than 30,000 people are dead in just one earthquake that happened. Like one day of shaking, 30,000 lives are lost. And the death count is still, they're still counting because so many people are still covered under the rubble. Israel immediately sent a delegation to Turkey, which is, You know, it's like Abraham praying for Sodom. That's really the way I see that because Turkey is a hostile nation toward Israel. I don't know if you remember many years ago, they sent a flotilla into Gaza. Soldiers were, it was just such, they're constantly undermining Israel, constantly attacking Israel. And then Turkey in their time of need, Israel is the smallest country in the Middle East. And they are the second largest delegation that they sent to Turkey to help the civilians there. And so like the earth in Turkey, And then in Syria, and then right before Shabbat, earthquakes were felt in Israel as well. And so, you know, as soon as I feel earthquakes in Israel, although I didn't feel the earthquake, Ari felt it. Right, Ari? You said you felt that earthquake. Did you not? I can't hear you, but I'm just, you're nodding your head. Fair enough. And so whenever I hear earthquakes in Israel, I can't help but think about the prophecies in the book of Isaiah and Zechariah. Like, there is one day an earthquake that's going to come that's going to change the whole game. And so it's like, wake up, (laughs) so much is happening. And it's like on the loudest, like the loudest level. It's not like these are small events. It's like the largest celebration of culture in Hollywood in America, the largest podcast, the biggest earthquakes. And as we're like reading the revelation of the Torah, everything is happening right now. And it is to wake us up. It is to wake us up to the living God that is running the world that is constantly sending messages to us to just wake us up to the reality that we need to return to ourselves, return to God, return to the truth. And so that is what this um, session is going to be dedicated to, to revelation, to the revelation at Sinai, but more importantly, to the revelation of God in our own lives, because that's really what the story of Sinai is about. It's not just a historic event that happened, But I think if you read it and study it the right way, it is a blueprint and a path for us to receive revelation in our own life. And that's what I want to talk about today. But before we get into that, I'm going to pass over the fellowship to Rabbi Ari Abramowitz, who is going to enlighten and inspire us, I hope. So here you go, Ari. I haven't seen you today. How are you doing?
1: I'm all right. Good to see you, Jeremy. It's been a rough day. Things are confusing. It's funny. Sometimes I feel like the more light is coming, the more, uh, we're under attack also. You didn't even get to see, but today we had uh, over 100 Central American, mostly Christians, but some Jews, come to the farm and Rav Daniel Cohen, the head rabbi of Bat A'in, led them in the, it was like a Jewish revival, screaming, singing in the show, dancing. Rav Daniel, I've never seen him so glowing and so happy. It's like it was one of the, I, I imagine it was one of the first times he really encountered like the nations of the world, loving him and blessing him and seeing that something real is happening there It was in on in our house of prayer at the farm. Did you see any of it, Jeremy?
0: I begged you to take pictures, but I was introduced so I to them, some so I missed and that. I did. I did. Well, I, I heard, heard did. that there were people from the Far East and from South America, from all over the world.
1: Yes, yes. It was really, it was literally from all over the world. I'm going to try to show you, should I show you guys like one of the videos right now? I don't yes. even know if I, Yes. If I, I'll, I'll try to show you. We'll see if I can even do that.
0: <sighs> you can't no, see no, that no. Ari, that's not working. a good it's way,
1: way to show it. Whatever, whatever. Oh, we'll share it next week. Give a thought, whatever. Anyways, um, so I just wanted to share, share something a little bit that's on my heart because there's a lot of things I wanted to share with you guys today. <laughs> this is a, it's a big Torah portion. Big, big, right? The giving of the Torah, the Ten Commandments. But I just can't jump into the text without talking about what's been happening here in the land because what's been happening here for me has been all-encompassing. It really hit me very, very hard. It was hard for me to even talk about the car ramming uh, that happened in the remote bus stop in Jerusalem on Friday for a, a while. I was just so broken from it. I was so broken. I had to lock myself away in a room for a couple of hours away from Shana Away from the kids. I just couldn't risk, you know. I see how like Vash picks up on everything. I couldn't risk bringing them down. It's my job to keep them happy and up and strong. So I just needed to like work through the initial wave of it. And then my friend Akiva, I don't know if you guys remember Akiva, he showed up to be our guest for Shabbat. And I asked him how he takes these things. And he said to me, he's like, you know, it's really interesting. It really depends on where my heart is. When it's open, he said, it can really affect me deeply. But sometimes my heart is just sealed and it feels like stone. And it, it sort of relieved me to hear this because, you know, I remembered how often that had been the case with me. How often I heard and and I saw these devastating news of terror attacks and I just felt numb. And now I just prayed to Hashem, please Hashem, let me feel this. You know, let me cry with my people. Let me feel their pain. Let me be connected. I just don't want to feel numb. And at that moment, I realized that Hashem had answered my prayer. Hashem had answered my prayer. I was definitely feeling it. And in my grief and in my sadness, I at least had a a little bit of a wave of gratitude come over me. That despite how how painful this was, at least I was feeling it. I was thanking Hashem for the tears and for the sadness. You know, I, I, I I just remember. I know what it's looked like what what it's like to look darkness in the eye and to feel little at least compared to what you know you should be feeling you feel it but you don't you know you should if you were if we didn't have these calluses around our hearts what we would be feeling is far different we 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 know it at least there's a feeling that i've had and this past friday i was really feeling it and at that point before shabbat it seemed like it seemed like there were only two confirmed murders right there was a 6 year old boy who's waiting with his father and his brothers in his Shabbat clothes, waiting at the bus stop. And uh, just to get home for Shabbat, six-year-old boy, just cut down, right? Again, such innocence, is contrasted with such evil. And then I see these headlines starting to come like this one, right? I don't know if you guys saw this. It says CNN headline. What did it say? Two dead, including child, as car rams people at Jerusalem bus stop. Like, no, the car is an autonomous vehicle, and the uh, jihadi Arab has no agency of his own. He doesn't even exist in the picture. You know, just like, it, just it's like salt in the wound, as the world is whitewashing the depth of the evil that we're facing. And I just started feeling so much rage and anger and fury, and I was like picturing, I was wishing I was there, just wishing I could have been there, wishing I could have stopped it, wishing I could have jumped in the way, in, and that I could have been the one to put a bullet in that terrorist's head. And then Shabbat began. Brennan, you're really not supposed to mourn on Shabbat. There are stories of you know, the righteous, of, of Israel, who lost their loves, loved ones on Shabbat, and went on, on Shabbat, putting aside the grief and the sadness, and continuously singing and being happy, not shedding one tear until Shabbat ends, and then the grief would consume them. And they would weep and they would mourn. But not on Shabbat. You're not supposed to grieve. You know, it's a it's a taste of the world to come. It's a time of happiness. But it's hard to legislate emotions, right? It's hard to command someone to feel a certain way. Or to command someone to not feel a certain way. But, uh, but this week's Torah portion does exactly that thing. Right? The Tenth Commandment. Is that what you guys were thinking just now? The Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet. You shouldn't covet. You shouldn't be jealous. And I always found that commandment, I reflect on that a lot because I find it very empowering. Because what it says to me is that that it's an illusion. That by Hashem commanding us not to covet, He's telling us that coveting is false, that it's a falsehood, that there's really nothing true to it, that our friend's lot was perfectly designed for Him and not for us. And that if we really did have His lot, if we really did have that thing that we're coveting, it would not make us happy. On the contrary, it would make our lives significantly worse. No matter how clear the vision of is in our mind of the, us having this thing, no matter what, it would not make us happy. And, and so through that commandment, Hashem telling us that jealousy and coveting is an illusion. So in my heart, I heard Hashem saying, <clears throat> it's okay to grieve. It's natural. It's normal. You know, grieve. I'm grieving with you. Hashem grieves with us. He's feeling the sadness with us. But on Shabbat, on Shabbat we go deeper. On Shabbat grieving, we can't grieve because it doesn't exist. The depths and the level and the dimension that we're at on Shabbat, grief is, is an illusion. Right? The Shabbat, Shabbat is, is a taste of the world to come. The ultimate Shabbat, right? the days of Mashiach, Hashem will dry all of our tears and our mouths will be filled with laughter and our tongues with joy. And on that great day, we'll look back and see how everything was from Hashem. Everything was from Hashem. Everything was for a blessing. We will see it clear on that day. Then, right, we'll, we'll see it clear. But now even the greatest mystic in the world can't possibly understand the this family that just lost two boys, six years old and eight years old. We're not supposed to be. Anything but but heartbroken over this that even a tragedy is as, as horrific and devastating and crippling as happened this past Friday somehow is part of the redemption. We'll know that when the time comes. We'll know that it was part of the revelation, and we'll know that without it, that light would not have been able to come into the world, which makes it part of that light. But we can't understand that now. We can't understand it, but on Shabbat, we can know it. We can know it. Even if we don't understand it. And therefore, through that faith, we can transcend our grief as that, you know, wave of, of holy time of Shabbat envelops us and subsumes us. You know, someone after the last fellowship sent me a message that after last week's session, the, they were thanking me for my openness and my vulnerability. And they told me that um, every Taurushir that they've been listening to lately has all had the same theme. Battling the darkness, elevating the darkness, bringing light from the darkness. And then I realized that not only has that been the theme of nearly every Torah that I've been sharing, with, but also all the classes and the Torah teachings I've been listening and learning. And the reason for that is that the nation of Israel is intuiting right now, we're into a in period in which be real darkness, we're it in our collective soul and it's being reflected in our collective voice. The collective message that we're feeling compelled to show the world, to proclaim to humanity. And I don't think it's that we necessarily understand in our heads, but it's a feeling that we feel in our hearts. And I actually read this idea that I'm about to share with you. It's a Monica book it's called A Light Nights." <clears throat> There's a blessing that we say in the morning that I always felt sort of uh, stands out in being sort of a, a different and strange morning blessing. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gives you stir a the friendship between day and night. Now, the teaching I'm going to share with you, and Jeremy, I know this is going long, but it's worth it. It's worth it. The teaching I'm going to share with you uh, resonated with me in a particularly powerful way since, since I own my own chicken food, right? Because I've noticed in the most clear and irrefutable way, that the rooster does indeed crow, but he doesn't crow at sunrise. That would just be too decent a thing for him to do. He crows every day about 20 minutes before sunrise. And that's what Rabbi Samson Rafael Hirsch actually teaches. He sees the rooster as a metaphor for the Jewish people. That when the world is in the darkest place, the darkness before the sunrise, the darkness before the greatest light, the Jewish people are the rooster of the world. The rooster of the world, we're awakening mankind to the coming light of Hashem. Despite the fact that we're statistically insignificant sizes of people. Nonetheless, we declare to the four corners of the world that the light of Hashem is coming. And even if we don't fully understand it ourselves. And just as the rooster begins its work while it's dark, so that's what we're doing right now. The nation of Israel, despite our own personal pain and sadness, we're still shining the light. And I couldn't help but to notice that within the same day, that the Israeli delegation to Turkey, right? these righteous heroes who are happy to risk their own lives pulling earthquake victims, Muslim earthquake victims from the rubble, on the same day that they saved the life of a six-year-old Muslim boy by pulling him from the rubble. That very day, a Muslim jihadi terrorist callously and viciously with pure evil in his heart murdered a six-year-old boy just for being a Jew. So I think it takes a special strength to see beyond the darkness that's enveloping us to the light that is awaiting us. And that's the mission of the Jewish people and that's our mission in this fellowship. And that's how you've been holding all of us up to do that mission and we're fulfilling it together. So uh, over Shabbat, you know, I found myself asking again and again, how do we bring the light from this darkness? The answer wasn't coming to me. I thought it would be and it wasn't, but despite all the talk, I'm still struggling to figure it out. But Hashem will provide the answer if we don't give up on the struggle, and if we pray enough, and if we just know it in our hearts, even if we don't understand it in our heads, if we simply never stop seeking the light of His truth from within the illusion of all this darkness in the world, Hashem is always there waiting for us. And while I don't have the answers, one thing I do know—I know it in my heart—is that the great day is coming when Hashem will shine His light of healing and love and truth to the whole world. And and it's up to us to decide whether we want to be a a candle in that illumination. And I want to thank all of you for holding up me and for holding up Jeremy and for holding up the entire nation of Israel, holding each other up to be a candle in the darkness for the whole world. I love you guys so much. Sorry for going so long, Jeremy.
0: Thank you, Ari. Um, No, I think it's really important. You know, I, I, I always want to kind of bring light from this fellowship, but sometimes we just have to recognize that the world is going mad right now. There's a lot of darkness in the world, but then where does that leave us? What are we supposed to do then? What do we do with the darkness that's all around us? Like, what is our move on the chessboard of life? And the answer to me is, well, we better build our ark because the flood is clearly coming. We have to build our base. We have to build our ark. We have to build our inner world strong. Because the world around us is going to be shaking and the earthquake is happening. So our foundations really need to be strong so we can be strong enough to lift up the people around us that might fall as the earth starts shaking around them. And so that is the best move on the board. And that's what this fellowship will be dedicated to because what are we going to do? All that we can do is rely on our Father in heaven. That's it. And so what does that look like? It's just about having God revealed in our life. Because once God is revealed in your life, you can be thrown into a pit like Joseph, sold into slavery, thrown into a dungeon, and you know that you're going to end up second to Pharaoh. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about arguably the most impactful event in world history, the National Revelation at Sinai. It is the moment that shifted human history forever. And if we learn it right, it has the power to shift our lives forever and at least set us in the direction where we need to go to kind of build us up to be ready for when the time comes that we need to be ready. And so let's just go back in time a little bit. 3,000 plus years ago, there's a people wandering through the desert, desert nomadic people, Israel, Surrounded in a pagan world, an illiterate world, where hieroglyphics, they couldn't even write yet, sacrificing their children, savages. And then out of that world, we were given a revelation, an enlightenment. They were... Israel was like elevated above the barbaric world and given a new vision of reality, a new vision of morality, truth, compassion, goodness, justice, the way to be in the world. It's like, where did that revelation come from? When I was in Manchester, so I was asked to speak in the Jewish high school there on their Sunday school. And so Sunday morning, I went there and I spoke to the Jewish high school and I asked the kids there, I'm like, you know what? In the last hundred years, what's the best human innovation that we've come up with? And some said, oh, it's the internet, internet, unbelievable internet, the biology and medicine, the advances there—it's incredible smartphones, video games, artificial intelligence. Everyone had like their own ideas, the rockets, space travel. And with all this progress that humans have made in the last 100 years, and it really is remarkable when you think about it, no one has come close to the literature comparable to the Torah. Why did that happen? I mean, 3,000 years ago, the world was illiterate, sacrificing their children, savages in a nomadic desert, people surrounded in that culture, all of a sudden, somehow, like, we're able to channel a wisdom written that nothing comes close to. What happened in the Sinai Desert? I mean, people can take it for granted if they want to. But if you're going to be honest, something supernatural happened there. It was not the natural course of history. Something different happened to Israel in the desert a light was brought into the world and it absolutely shifted the course of human history as we know it, brought human civilization to where we are today. And that national revelation is a blueprint for God's revelation in our own life. And so that's what I wanna talk about. There's two ways to see belief. Um, And there's like almost two schools of thought within Judaism. And one of them by Maimonides in particular says the best way to come to belief is through analysis look at the world study the world and in studying the marvel of the world you are going to realize that there is a wisdom in this creation that couldn't be any other way it's like if you're walking in the desert and all you see is sand dunes sand dunes sand dunes for miles all around you just nothing but sand dunes and all of a sudden you find a watch with cogs and its wheels and it's spinning and turning you assume that like that didn't just come out of the desert that Someone had to have made that. So so too, how could it be that this world is so unbelievable that it's just, it's just a, I just manifested out of nothing. And the more you study it, the more amazing it becomes. I mean, the analogy that the sages of Israel bring is like, imagine someone spilled ink and then out of, of just, so you pour a bottle of ink and it spills onto a paper and it exactly falls not only into the letters but into the exact letters, sentences, paragraphs of Romeo and Juliet written by Shakespeare. Be like, you want me to believe that that just splattered onto paper from pouring ink and it out came Romeo and Juliet? That's really what, if you think about the world and a peacock's feather and the killer whale and the DNA strand, it's like, that's just, uh, no, there's a divine wisdom. The more and the more wondrous. And the more, ama- the more you study the human eye, then the more amazing the world becomes and the more wisdom that you see and the way to real come to faith and love of God, just study the world, study science, and you will fall in love with the creator of this amazing world. There's a second thought, and that is belief through revelation. And it's really two different tracks that'll bring you to the same place perhaps, but it's a totally different, it's not in your mind. You're not studying anything. You're experiencing something. I mean, You can study, investigate, research, read books, read poetry, uh, sing, uh, listen to country music about love. (laughs) You can study love all you want, but then you can be in love. And once you are in love, there's no need to study it anymore. You know what you know, and you feel what you feel, and you experience what you experience. This Shabbat morning, Noam, who's my cutest of all of my boys, He is just the cutest thing on the planet. And Eden, my bat mitzvah girl now, went out to pasture with the sheep Shabbat morning. And after two weeks, one week I was sick, one week I was in Manchester, finally the third week, I haven't been out with the sheep in so long, I take my children and we go out into the pasture in the mountains of Israel. I know what love is because I am in love with my children. Head over heels. I just, it's not up for a debate. It's just what I know. It's the truth of my life. And that is, it's an experience that I live with. And that is how we're meant to come to faith. It's an encounter with God in our life, living in a dynamic relationship. It's not so much about what we think and what we analyze. It's just the experience. And the Sinai experience is the ultimate claim of belief through revelation. That's it. That's it. How do we experience that revelation in our own life? To live a guided life that we see the orchestration and the providence to live with that spirit that guides us in our life. And so, you know, the sages of Israel, and this is sort of like the title that we're all going to come back to, say that the way that we should live life is we should have two notes in our pockets one note in our right pocket and one note in our left pocket. One One note says, The entire world was created only for me. Everything that happens around me, everything that's going on in this whole world is the God of Israel, the creator of the universe, is literally orchestrating all of reality just for me. Everything that happens to me is for me. It's guided by God. To help me, the entire world was created for my own experience, and God is orchestrating every single detail of my life, even the things that are happening in outer circles beyond me. Everything is ultimately for my own personal journey. That's one note. The second note in your other pocket is I am just dust and ashes. I'm really nothing. And it's to hold those two worlds at the same time. On one hand, to know that you're chosen, that you're guided, that you're loved, that you are being watched over. But on the other hand, don't let that go to your head. You're just dust and ashes. And it's to hold absolute humility with absolute chosenness at the same time. That is the life of a believer, to hold those two paradoxes at the same time and walk with them, knowing that everything that happens to you in your life is directly from God. And at the same time, to be in total humility, saying, we don't know anything at all. And so here we go. Let's take that now to the next level. To live by the way with humility doesn't mean that you think less of yourself, but rather that you have you you've not like less regard for yourself, but increased regard for others. That as you live as a believer, it just opens your heart up to love everyone around you because everyone around you is a godsend. Okay. So with that, Wisdom from the sages of Israel. Now, I want to go to the blueprint given to us in the Torah. There's an actual formula for revelation if you read the Torah properly. And so, I want to put the slide up and I want you to write this formula down because this formula is the formula for our lives. And so, there are five stages. Well, there's really four stages that lead to the revelation. So, the first one is choice. You have to choose. Israel had to choose to take that lamb, to put the blood on the doorpost, to walk out of Egypt. Abraham had to choose to walk out of his land and go on a faith journey. The first one is you have to choose. You can't just stay passive. This is not going to work. You have to choose to get married. You got to get married. You either have to propose or you have to say yes, but there has to be a choice that's being made. The second one is preparation the people of Israel, they walked for 50 days from Egypt to Sinai. Those 50 days were spiritual preparation. The last three days were three days of serious preparation at the foot of the mountain. But the entire process is the counting of the Omer. It is a spiritual preparation for that revelation. And that's really important because there's a lot of thought in the Western world. Ah, it's just by the grace of God. Oh, it's just by coincidence. It's by luck. Either you'll be chosen or you're not chosen. But no, the biblical path is one of preparation. After you choose to live a life of faith, then you have to work at it. You have to prepare yourself. You have to build your ark. You actually have to construct your spiritual antenna to get reception. You have to build that spiritual antenna in your life in order to be guided in your life. That preparation the outcome of working toward that goal will bring you to humility. Humility is number three. Number four is unity. Number four means that there are some people when they feel like, yo, I am just, I have the new path. I have the truth. It separates them from people. They start looking down at other people. They start becoming sort of spiritual snobs. And if your revelation hasn't brought you together, hasn't brought more unity in the world, more love in the world, more connectedness in the world, if we're to be a reflection of God and God is one, then God's ultimate expression is unity. And that's what we're going to go to soon. You'll see right before the revelation at Sinai is the ultimate expression of unity among the people in Israel. And if we do, to choose, to prepare, to humble ourselves and to be unified, that's when revelation happens. And so now what I want to do is I want to go through scripture and I want to show you how this code plays out in the story of Israel. Here we go. The first thing we need to know is ma'aseyavot siman Lebanim. The lives of our fathers are signs for their children. That's another way of saying, that's the sages of Israel code word for saying the stories of the Torah are prophecy. The stories of the Torah are blueprints that will be repeated throughout history. So Abraham's life is a prophecy for the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel actually relive Abraham's life. Abraham, as he acted in the world, he was living out prophetically what would happen to his descendants later. And the people of Israel that acted out their life in slavery from Egypt, that will be lived out again in later generations, in the final generation. I mean, you can't help but kind of be awestruck at the fact that what is the blueprint that we know of? There's slavery in Egypt. And then there's the redemption and the return to the land of Israel. That's the story of Exodus all the way until Deuteronomy. And lo and behold, what do we see right before um, 1948? The people of Israel are literally in black and white striped clothes, in slave camps, in death camps, slaves to German Nazis. And then from that slavery... Somehow, redemption and a return to the land of Israel. But you can even see that beforehand. Abraham, before he's able to settle into the land of Israel, he lives out prophetically the future of Israel. He goes down to Egypt. His wife is kidnapped, imprisoned, literally a slave to Pharaoh at this point. And then he leaves Egypt with wealth and goes back to the land of Israel. He goes through this process. What's the process? Abraham chooses to walk into the land. He chooses to go on the journey. And in that whole journey, Test after test, challenge after challenge. He's preparing himself. And you know what? He was really humbled because he came into the land of Israel with the message. He's like, All of you are pagans. All of you are worshiping false gods. You should worship the one true God. And then as he comes into the land, there's a famine. And all the pagans are like, Well, where's your God now, Abraham? And Abraham is so humbled. He has to escape down to Egypt, humbled once again. As he's becoming a believer, that preparation is definitionally humbling because all of our successes and all of the challenges that we are able to overcome are all through the grace of God. Who gives us the strength? Who gives us the courage? Who gives us the ability to go through the challenges that we are faced with? It's definitionally humbling. That preparation, it's almost like that is the goal of the preparation is to humble us. And so on the way to Israel, it's the same thing that journey through the desert it's preparation and imagine the people of israel so humbled i mean they're about to be the chosen people they're about to be given you know this amazing status of the chosen people and it's like don't forget you are slaves you were the lowest of the low that slavery was the preparation it was like building into them a humility That really lasts, I believe, until this very day, that the people of Israel can still know that they're chosen, but chosen just to serve God, just to be a reflection of his light. There's nothing particularly unique or holy. They're just chosen for a task because we started off as slaves, and the only one that took us out of slavery is God. And so as they're walking, same thing happened. The journey of Abraham and the journey of Israel, and then ultimately our own journey. Abraham had a goal. He had a destination. He had a vision of where he wanted to go. He had the land of Israel. And at the same time, he had an inner calling. He had a calling on the inside that was calling him forth. Go to yourself to the land that I will show you. So on one end, he had a vision of where he wanted to go. And he lived with an inner calling. The same thing happens to Israel on their way to Sinai. How did they get there? They had a pillar of fire. A vision. A vision the direction where they were, they didn't exactly know where they were going, but there was like a faint light way off into the distance. And they were just walking in that light, walking with that vision toward that direction, toward that goal. And at the same time, they had the clouds of glory. Now we know the the story of the Exodus, the Israelites were guided by that pillar of fire. And that is the inner journey of every believer towards their own destiny, towards their own personal promised land. That is the path from Egypt to Israel. It's just a three-day journey. But that pillar of fire guided them on a 40-year journey all the way around. And it was preparing them and preparing them and humbling them and refining them. And that pillar of fire guided ancient ancient Israel at nighttime. In the dark, in the confusing world, there needs to be a light in our lives that's giving us direction of where we want to go. We don't always have all the details. We don't know how we're going to get there. We don't... But we... It, always have to have at least the direction. Where are we walking? There needs to be a pillar of fire somewhere off in the distance that's giving us the ability to walk in that light. So we don't necessarily need to achieve the goal. We don't need to get to that destination, but the pillar of fire, that land of Israel that Abraham was called to, even when he gets into the land of Israel, he continues his journey walking. The journey really never ends for Abraham, but he's constantly putting forth before him, a a Zion, a Mark, a bullseye that he's aiming towards. And so it's like, there's a beautiful verse in the book of Psalms, chapter 36, verse 10. It says, for with you is the source of life. And by your light, we see light. It's like when you walk in that light, then you're able to see light. It's like the very existence of that goal in that direction gives us the path forward. That's, you know, it's like, as you walk down that corridor, Doors open up that you never would have seen had you not started walking down that direction. But that faith walk is preparing you for new doors to open up. The 50 days we were learning to walk in that light. And at the same time, we had the clouds of glory. And the clouds of glory represent God's spirit in our lives that is calling us quietly forward. But a cloud, it can blow in and it can blow out. It's really delicate. And we can also interfere with the cloud we can banish the cloud in our life and that's when we talk about preparing ourselves meaning if you're watching the grammys and you're watching satanic worship and you're watching the toxic insanity in the mainstream media that will actually block your eyes from seeing your own fire but more importantly banish the cloud from that inner voice you'll the static your antenna won't be working anymore you'll be like blinded and deaf to god's calling and to the vision he's given you and so guarding our eyes guarding our souls that's like of the most important works in the world today and so before being chosen abraham was humbled before the people of israel were called a chosen people they were humbled and if you think about it israel today judaism as we know it was formed through 2000 years of exile. You know, we could say, yes, but there was a first temple and there was a second temple and there was even a tabernacle. That's true. But the Judaism that we live in today, which is really the unadulterated biblical um, tradition, it was formed so much by those 2000 years of exile. It's very similar to the nation of Israel that left Egypt. They were formed by 200 plus years of slavery in Egypt you could say, yes, but there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob beforehand. Yes, there was a tabernacle and two temples. There were these three pillars, but ultimately those 200 years of slavery, by the time the people of Israel left Egypt, they were in a slave mentality. It was the slavery that molded them who they were. So those two notes, the entire world was created for you. I'm just dust and ashes from the very beginning. That's a code that's given to Abraham. It's a code that's given to Israel. And it's really a code for us to live our own lives. Choice, preparation, humility, and unity. That's the path. And so look at what happens here because we're at unity. I really want to talk about that now. In Exodus chapter 19, verse two, we can put that up on the screen. Here's what it says in Hebrew. It really like shouts out, But here's what it says. They journeyed from Rephidim and they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness and Israel encamped there opposite the mountain. Now in Hebrew, it's grammatically almost incorrect. It's like they journeyed, they encamped, they did this. And then all of a sudden Israel encamped. The language turns into singular, Vayichan Ha'am. And it's like, it's, it's it's grammatically off. And so immediately the sages of Israel, the Midrash is like, what's going on there? Why did that verse all of a sudden say, it? and they encamped by Sinai, why did they change the language to singular? And so the Torah teaches us that Israel at that moment, as they stood before the revelation, existed as one man with one heart. They were for the first time fully united the entire family all 12 tribes the nation that was born out of those 12 tribes all unified together sometimes you know we always say a family that sweats together sticks together (laughs) because our first few months on the farm we didn't have an air conditioning and it was so hot in the summer at the desert And so we always said, okay, we're just a family that sweats together and a family that sweats together, sticks together. And so sometimes the challenges that we go through, those challenges bring us together. Israel has just lived through slavery, the traumas of the 10 plagues, the the anxiety of the Dead Sea, the splitting of the sea, 50 days, no water in the desert. They're finally there. All of that, though, brought them together with a unified purpose, like one man with one heart unity. If your faith journey makes you a snob, you're not doing it right. Being humble means increasing regard for others. And it's like, it should make you more loving, more accepting, more understanding, more connected to the people around you, more connected to the world around you. To receive revelation is to be close enough to God to have his spirit dwell within you, to be a vessel that can contain his light. More than anything, Hashem Echad, God is one. Vahikhan in Israel encamped as one person with one heart. That's what allowed them to receive revelation. So if you're starting to see the people around you and you're like, ah, he's a jerk and he's a jerk and ah, oh, she's a jerk, maybe you're the one that's being a jerk. If everyone around you are a the lad, there's something to think about. Our spiritual journey should make us loving and accepting. The more loving and accepting and compassionate and unifying you are, That is a sign that you are reflecting God's light in the world. And that's what Israel had to be. Sinai wouldn't have happened without Israel finally coming together. And that's also important because in the Western ideal, it's all about personal salvation. But in the biblical ideal, it's about a kingdom. It's about a global redemption that creates a world that understands we were created to be a brotherhood of God under the fatherhood, uh, a brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God that we are meant to live in harmony to live in unity that is the formula for revelation can we get the slide up just one more time because now we've seen it through Abraham we've seen it through Sinai choice preparation now the preparation is going to be different for every single person Abraham's preparation is different than Isaac's preparation is different than Jacob's preparation the preparation of Israel in the desert is different than the preparation of Israel in The exile is a preparation. It's each person's own individual journey. But in our challenges, that's where the preparation happens, in our journey through the desert. And in that journey, we will be humbled. We should be humbled. We should welcome being humbled. We should welcome being corrected. And if we're humble enough, then the next stage is to be more loving, to be more accepting. Because really, what do we know? I might be chosen, but on the other hand, I know that I'm just dust and ashes. And after the revelation of Sinai, Moshe performs one more act. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but this is the key. He's teaching us the Ten Commandments. So awesome. This verse is sometimes just overlooked, but in some ways, it is the key to living a guided life, and Moshe is teaching us, this is not a one-time event of revelation. I want to teach you where to find God in your life. and so. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. After the Ten Commandments are given, the whole nation is standing and watching Moses. And Moses steps up. Here's what it says. The people stood from afar and Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Asher sham hu Elohim. Moses is teaching Israel revelation. You want to find God in your life? Watch me. I'm going into the thick cloud. Rabbi Nachman says Moses is giving over the secret. Pagan religions blame hardships on the devil, on coincidence, on out gods are warring with each other and we're just like the ricochets. Maybe, you know what, maybe I'll try to worship the other side. I'll celebrate the other side. Maybe I'll gain favor because the hardships in my life, they come from the other side. Moses says, no, everything comes from one source everything comes from god watch me israel as i walk into the thick cloud asher sham ha elohim that's where god is and so when i look at our fellowship this community that we're building together and as soon as you get to know people on a deeper level you realize every person involved in this fellowship is living out the most incredible life drama an epic tale of hardship, of survival, of perseverance, of faith, of courage. Every person that I've spoken to in this fellowship, their life is a best-selling novel. The thick cloud, that's where God is. That's where we will find revelation in our life. And if we know that we're about to head into a dark time because the world is shaking quite literally, just know that in that dark cloud, God is preparing the way. And it's just so beautiful as we're aligning our lives with these high ideals given through the Torah. We've chosen to prepare ourselves to live as believers and walk in that light, humble ourselves and be accepting, whether it be South American, Far Eastern people coming to the farm, Germans or Jews from Baltimore, just to be accepting, be loving, be that in the world, love everyone unconditionally, no matter what, if they're seekers after God, bring them into your home and show them the love of God, open and inviting. That's what this fellowship is. And so the more we can bring more unity in the world, more light into the world to be a reflection of God's light in the dark times, hoping for revelation to guide us. And so may this fellowship, may all of us be blessed with the light of Israel because the sun is about to burst forth toward a new day in a new world and all of us we choose it we're preparing ourselves we'll humble ourselves if that's what we need to do and then all of us together will bring more unity and that will bring a new revelation to the world so may you all be blessed from zion we love you all so much. I'm so happy that people are now coming out to the farm. Slowly but surely, fellowship members come out. We get to spend more time with them, more individual time getting to know you. Hopefully, Teal and I are hoping to plan a trip um, this coming summer before Passover. We might be coming to South Africa. And so slowly but surely, bringing the Torah to the world and then bringing the world to Eretz Yisrael. Slowly but surely, just the tapestry that we're weaving together, building a beautiful tapestry like the, you know, the tabernacle of Israel, just a beautiful tapestry. And so may we all be blessed. May may Hashem bless every single member of this fellowship, bless their loved ones from this place in the name of all of Israel. Shalom, my friends. See you next week.
1: To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the Land of Israel live from the Judean frontier.